Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Industrial Sourcing Podcast. My name is Anne-Sophie Lebloas, and this is our first episode. My co-host today is Brice Kamga. He's the Purchasing Director at Kofel Group, which is the leader in manufacturing beddings. And I'm the founder and CEO of Ravacan, an online sourcing software for industrial buyers and their suppliers. Today, we have the pleasure to welcome Thomas Hubert, is the EMEA Purchasing Manager at Polaris. Polaris is the leader in manufacturing off-road vehicles. He's going to share some tips about how to effectively manage a remote team, as well as reporting to the management that is overseas. Thank you so much, Thomas, for um, joining us today. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, I'm Anne-Sophie. Um, we are with, uh, as well, Brice. Yes, hello, Thomas. Hey, Brice. So, yeah, Thomas, what's your story? Well, um, so my story is basically I come from, uh, I'm French, I'm 36. I'm, uh, I come from a general school of business. Uh, and I had, let's say, if you go a little bit more uh, in the past, I had the scientific uh, A-levels. Uh, then I enrolled at um, uh, business school. And I had a specialized master in purchasing in the business school of Bordeaux, where I met you guys. And um, so basically, after this uh, professional uh, educational background, I, uh, I had the, the opportunity to work for an American company called General Mills in Switzerland for my first, uh, let's say, role in a, in a company. And I, um, I stayed there two and a half years. And uh, then I was mostly focusing there on indirect purchasing. Uh, so I had the opportunity here to explore what it means to buy non-production items and services. And uh, after that, I just wanted to, uh, let's say, uh, discover a little bit more all the direct side of purchasing. And I moved to another American company called Pentair, also in Switzerland, where I stayed uh, seven years, seven and a half years. And uh, during, that, uh, during that experience, I had various roles. I had a buyer role, then moved to um, a business unit sourcing lead. Then I had the uh, community manager role. And I had also the, uh, the great opportunity to, to do an, an overseas assignment in the United Arab Emirates in Dubai for two and a half years. So I took over there the regional sourcing management scope for both um, so Middle East and India. Uh, so very uh, enriching also experience there. And uh, also along the way, I did a little bit of logistics. I finished the career at Pentair in uh, indirect purchasing as well. Um, and since uh, a year ago now, I moved to uh, Polaris, another American company headquartered in Minnesota. So I had, the, again, roles, various responsibilities. I changed a lot of times, uh, bosses. And uh, yeah, I think I've been working now for a bit more than 10 years. Mm -hmm. So. Here I am. Great. Can you tell us a little bit about what you are doing at Polaris, what the company does, and what are your responsibilities? Yeah, sure. So what I do these days, I'm uh, so Polaris. First of all, is a power sport company. Uh, you may know uh, some of the products uh, that I like to call uh, toys for uh, adults because they basically just fun products to ride. You know, we have uh, buggies. So to to go in dunes or deserts or even in forests, we have the, the quads make it simple. And we also have um, snowmobiles, mostly obviously uh, in northern countries in the in US and Canada. And we also have, uh, since a uh, few times, the boat industry. So some pontoon boats, you know, where people can actually party. Very, uh, very um, uh, big business in the US. 
And uh, my role, uh, part of this company, so I sit in Switzerland at the EMEA headquarters. And um, I have, let's say, two main responsibilities. Uh, maybe I can explain that a little bit more. First one is I, I manage the strategic sourcing department, as well as the what we call within the company NPI, new product implementation. And um, by this is basically ensuring the supplies of all components to manufacture prototypes all along the, let's say, Polaris development process that we have. So we have different schedules, obviously, with different prototype builds where we try uh, the validity of a design and so on, see where we can improve. And uh, so my team work, I have a team of 12 people divided up mostly in two, I would say. So some in the strategic sourcing, category sourcing, and some in, uh, in, in NPI. And it's very, uh, very interesting because I, I have these two hats and uh, I report to the global director of NPI sourcing. Uh, but if the, the most interesting thing is that I have the ability to work with these two teams directly, obviously, because one is completing the other. Mm-hmm. The strategic sourcing team defines where to buy the parts, and the NPI teams will then order the prototype parts and so on. And so, on. Yeah, very interesting organization. Yeah. I made it brief. <laughs> <laughs> I think what would be interesting to know is, uh, for example, uh, what kind of products specifically you are buying and uh, what kind of uh, commodities. And um, and then the follow-up question would be that uh, what you wish you knew before you started up this uh, position. Yeah, so very good question in the sense that, uh, so answering the first one, Polaris is a, is, a, is a very big company. We're talking about 30,000 employees worldwide and a $2.2 billion spend. Okay, so. Um, What I actually have my hands on in the EMEA is way smaller, obviously. I manage $125 million. And, um, but uh, most of these uh, the components and the suppliers are, are based in the US. So I have, let's say, the possibility to work. And this is where the role is very interesting because I have a lot of possibility to relocate uh, components. Why I'm saying that is uh, I don't necessarily um, buy uh, a lot of components through very big suppliers these days or interact in the community industries, which I had in previous experiences, okay? Because I'm buying uh, either from suppliers that are being, uh, let's say, who the, man- the relationship is managed by the US, uh, my US colleagues, or let's say with suppliers uh, in Europe for smaller parts or for, let's say, entities of big suppliers. If you take tires, for example, I can buy from Pirelli or a Goodridge or whoever, you know? And, um, Uh, and yeah, so I, I buy a lot of different components. Obviously, I uh, you know in, a, in one of our products we, or vehicles, you can have eight to ten thousand, eight thousand to ten thousand different uh, SKUs. So uh, I would say I'm not interacting directly with the world of commodities here. Uh, I can probably speak a little bit more about that uh, from past experiences. Uh, what I wish I had known, uh, and that that was your question. Uh, I think I should have probably enrolled. Um, I wish I had the opportunity to enroll in engineering school before actually mastering in a purchasing. Why? Because I think, in the, especially in these kind of industries, you know, it's important to know exactly the detail of what you're buying. I'm not saying that this is a slowdown to your career, obviously. But what I'm saying is uh, it could be key to obviously know in detail the functionality or, you know, some, uh, some things that obviously you learn in engineering school. I'm learning a lot. And since I'm interested in these uh, in kind of products and industries, Uh, I'm learning, but I will probably always, uh, I would say, not struggle. But uh, if you compare to someone that has uh, this knowledge, uh, 
it, it could be, it could make a difference. I would say. Okay, so essentially, you're advising um, people or young people that are interested in a career in procurement to uh, actually go to an engineering school and then uh, get some business uh, education afterwards. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I would say it's not a general advice, uh, but basically. Uh, if if you know you want to work in an industry, in an in automotive industry, in airplane industries, you know, uh, also our chemical industries and stuff, it, I think it would be uh, helpful. Not saying it's a must, but it's a definitely uh, very nice to have, almost a must. Uh, you can also... I you know, agree with that. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yes. You know, if you work for a, a food industry, for example, you don't necessarily need it. So it depends a little bit of, of what uh, you can obviously do it without it. I think it's a Riz, uh, had you an uh, engineering background before coming to uh, or doing the uh, master's in, uh, in procurement? Yes, of course, of course. The difference, I mean, um, when you have to, to tackle some subjects, um, the technical background is very helpful to go straight to the point or to understand what people are manufacturing or producing. And it's helped in your negotiation and all the stuff. Yeah. Okay, so um, so is it something uh, like technicality and uh, manufacturing process? Is it something you you've learned the hard way, or um, or is there anything else that um, yeah it was difficult for you when you change from indirect to direct procurement? Yeah, the, <clears throat> it's not something that I learned the hard way because I would say I uh, I'm continuously learning. You know, when I was uh, mm-hmm. back. In community managers, for example, you have to understand how a tool works on a press, a mold, sorry, works on a press. Uh, and if you go to middle category, you need to understand how the machining is made. I mean, you have so many, obviously, different things that we could talk ages about that. So I'm constantly learning. Now it's a new industry for me. Uh, automotive is completely new to me. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm able to do it, obviously. And that's great because at least it makes the, the content even more interesting. I would say something that I learned the hard way is uh, resilience. What I mean by that is, you know, basically the, the capacity to hold tight when the going, the going gets tough. And for example, when in Dubai, I think this is where I really learned the resilience there, despite the climate. I've been uh, facing many times uh, difficult personal and professional situations. And I have to say, it could have been uh, easy, you know, to just give up. But uh, yeah, I, I was facing, let's say, suppliers make, giving me uh, fake promises or or integrity issues within the team, like bribery uh, or, uh, you know, a fire at home or being and feeling alone, like uh, no one to confront me with because I, I didn't have, let's say, a proper team. I mean, I had some reports, but uh, all my peers were mostly in uh, in Europe and I was on this on, on this uh, different side of the business. So the list is long. And honestly, um, I'm very proud of the courage that I had to face these adversities and to continue doing the things that I uh, I believed in. So I would say the philosophy is uh, never give up when it comes to resilience. That's what I learned the hard way and I'm still using these days. You know, every time I'm just about to say, uh, oh, it, uh, it's hard or why is it so complex and so on, I'm, I'm really trying to, to say, okay, don't give up, I'm done and we'll try to find the positivity out. And that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing. Yes. I want to ask you, how do you manage and how do you communicate with your colleagues, especially the ones that are in HQ? Do you have like um, some tips or how do you work to make sure that communication is seamless and uh, you achieve your targets? Yeah, no, very good question. And that's, it's actually something that I'm um, 
these days working on in the sense that I just had my uh, media review, my manager. And um, I think I would say the thing that I struggle the most with these days is the fact that I am located in Switzerland. I have no one from my team there. I don't report to anyone in Switzerland. I'm like the, uh, the, the free electron. My, um, mm-hmm. my team is based in Poland where we have uh, the manufacturing site. And my, my manager and all my peers are in US. So basically, I could be doing my work everywhere. So I feel uh, quite at ease to do it uh, from home, to be honest, with, despite the COVID environment. I think uh, to, to be effective, because this was something that I was a little bit worried or concerned about when I accepted that job position. But it's actually, uh, you, you need to be present. So okay, before COVID, obviously, I was traveling uh, to Poland on a monthly basis, going there three, day, three days a month. Uh, I think the team would like to see me more, but I have also some uh, family obligations here and I cannot live in Poland. And uh, I, I don't, for many personal reasons, don't want to travel, let's say, two weeks a month in Poland. <clears throat> so I would say I be present, organize regular calls, and I have one-on-ones with uh, my direct reports. I have team meeting. I have dedicated meeting with uh, some people from sourcing, dedicated meeting from people uh, on the NPI side. So it's really a matter of keeping the communication up and going. And my predecessor, that was in the role before me then, um, really didn't, uh, I think, didn't do that much. Okay? He was really, um, I would say, trusting and relying on the team in, in Poland and was not really much just stepping in. Why, why, to the point that when I, when I joined, I didn't have any file or not even one document, one email of uh, what these guys have done. So I was like uh, completely uh, lost, uh, I mean, not lost, but thrown in, in this new role with that. Uh, Everything to build from scratch, okay, and that was very. Uh, I think that was a very big thing because I had the opportunity, and I still have the opportunity. And this is what makes my role very interesting: is to uh, to be able, you know, to uh, to design and shape the team as I want, to define a strategy, to implement processes, to uh, to, to shape, let's say, this organization, sourcing organization from uh, from the way I see it, and to make it more efficient, to duplicate it a little bit more of what is being done in US. And because the US have, uh, are very mature, I would say, compared to us, and uh, it's still a new company in, in Europe. So, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's great on, the, on this side. And it's also challenging because I really need to be in touch regularly with the team. And sometimes you're frustrated because things are not moving the way you want because you cannot control, obviously, everything. And I'm not a micromanager, so I will, uh, I will trust the team. It's also mostly based on trust. And this is something that I, I told my boss uh, that <coughs> I can't thank him enough to, uh, to trust me, you know, trust me in the sense that uh, I see him like twice a year. We have uh, the weekly reviews, but uh, on the other side, I'm, I'm not, I could, you know, benefit from that situation and say, Hey, I'm working, but then I'm working from the beach or whatever. I think that one of them, I'm mixing the big things up here, but one of the things that I, I'm very uh, entitled to is the integrity. So value, which is very important to me. In the sense that if you if you do things properly, you know this is the the, the only key to, to success. You need to be uh, to be compliant. You need to follow the values. You need to, be, to to make sure you have integrate integrity within the company. And all all this to say that trust is one of them. And this is the the way it works here. You trust the team. Your boss trusts you, and you don't uh, just uh, abuse the, the way things are. Okay, this partially answer to the question about your management style. Yes, I'd say. Um, I don't know how to put that, that, say that, but uh, I would say I'm uh, maybe some kind of an explorator. <laughs> explorator. I'm making you know my own agenda on top of all the regular meetings I have. I go with the flow. Um, and I, I would say I promote openness and, uh, and 
lot of uh, curiosity-driven contribution from my side with a collaborative uh, intention. I'm constantly seeking for uh, opportunities when asking for some information or making recommendations, for example. So I manage, as I just said, with uh, integrity, or I try to. And again, this, this, this is like uh, very important to me, especially from the fact that I'm remotely located and uh, uh, I'm also result-oriented. So I would like, I would empower people and also reward action contribution, but I can also be very uh, challenging. Uh, and I like details, you know, when the, when the, when I'm asking for an explanation, so I would really go into the very much to the very detail to make sure I understand. Not micromanaging, obviously. I'm not behind them all the time. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think I like the way uh, they get empowered. And I, I'm I'm very uh, fully uh, transparent in the sense that I would give them the <coughs> the visibility they deserve when they do th- things great. You know, it's important to communicate uh, not like uh, they do something, but I report it as I did something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'd like to give them also the possibility that I was I was given during all these past experiences to to show my way or to let's say to make my way within. The yeah, I think it's very interesting what you're saying, and uh, this is something that I've experienced that um, you would have um, commodity managers, for example, or category managers defining the strategy for their commodity and type of products, and then you would have operational buyers that actually need to execute the, the contract and and do the day-to-day operations with the suppliers. But those uh, operational buyers would lack the big picture and uh, the vision and uh, as well the overall portfolio strategy. So is it something that actually you're sharing on a regular basis with your um, collaborators or do you, how often yeah. and how do you organize to, to share this big picture with them? Yeah, um, good point. What, what, what I try to do, despite the regular one-on-ones that I have on a weekly basis, let's say, if need be uh, more, uh, with my my direct reports, I also have a staff meeting that I like to call. So meeting with all the, the two teams, during which, you know, it's a great opportunity for everyone to communicate. Also, all the reports of my reports to be able to talk to me uh, because I don't, I don't have a meeting directly with them. <clears throat> but then they have also the possibility to talk between uh, all together. We bring topics, and I also communicate about, I would say, general general topics like uh, uh, during COVID, uh, what it, what, I mean, to obviously uh, stay home and so on. The, if there is some uh, return to office policy, I give them also a lot of, uh, I mean, as many insights as possible when it comes to the business, where we're going, what are our competitors doing. Uh, Figures, how is the company doing from a financial standpoint, and so on. All these kind of stuff that basically I, cas- I cascade from uh, the the meeting I have with uh, with my colleagues in US. So I think again, as I mentioned earlier, and as you said, uh, communication is key, and uh, it's also a way to uh, you know to to to, uh, to share information that I receive. I don't want to keep that one for myself, and so on. and also uh, I'm I'm trying to share with them the vision I have because I really believe in the company. I really believe in the organization since I'm drafting it. And uh, I would like them to uh, to uh, to believe in that as well. So that's a very challenging part because sometimes you have to change a little bit the way things are done. But uh, for example, lately I promoted, uh, actually yesterday, promoted a lady within the team and she was super happy. And I had to fight like crazy to uh, with HR and so on to make sure this was happening. Despite uh, these times, you know, where all the companies are trying to Cost. I was, let's say, requesting a higher salary. But then I really did it not only for her, but also because uh, I really wanted to show the team that there are possibilities to grow up. 
you know, it's very easy for someone to say, I'm stuck in the role, and then they they will start to look somewhere else and so on. But they are really wanting to give the message that you can grow. So this is part of all the vision. What I like with this uh, vision, you know, American companies are working on this uh, LRP, long-range plan, so three years from now, five years from now, and, and I'm trying to uh, to, uh, to bring also the team, I uh, think at least, through that. And this is also what I need to, uh, what I challenge. The, the biggest challenge I have, I would say, is to is to share this vision with the team to make them understand that if they work, there will be opportunities in the future. Because obviously, a lot of people are working and need concrete changes now, saying, I do a good job, I want to be promoted to that role. I say, okay, time will come, you need to be patient on that. If we all work, you know, uh, and uh, properly and business is growing and so on, then uh, the journey will bring us at these opportunities. This cannot happen in a Very cool. I really like uh, the story. Yes. Uh, one question, uh, because when you talk about your management style, <clears throat> that's very good, sounds very good. Um, it's look like um, it's something which is common to uh, American company. Uh, do you think that in France, for example, or in Europe, you have the same? Uh, values or uh, the same management style because I don't believe it uh, in my company today. I just, it's it's the it's the same. It's it's great, but in my previous experience, um, it was difficult to see this kind of relationship. Uh, I mean, people wanted the, the team to, to people promoting their team, people having good relationship. Not that common. What is your What do you believe about it? Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, that's a very uh, wide topic, I would say, which is, let's say, manage, uh, managing and cultures and so on. But um, I would say, obviously, I, I, in the different companies I worked for, I had, let's say, a lot of different uh, um, multicultural colleagues, obviously. And, and I had also the opportunity to manage, let's say, some uh, Indian people, French people, Uh, also in Switzerland, you know, you work with a lot of different colleagues. So from a general standpoint, I, I think you just need to adapt. Okay? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there is a proper one management style that works, but I think you have always the, um, you have always the opportunity to, uh, to vehiculate the message or the vision one way or the other. So I'm not saying that I will be completely changing my management style. If someone deserves a promotion, I will do it. Uh, to be very honest with you, I've not worked for a French company. <laughs> have not yes, worked was, yes. in France, yes. <laughs> but I think uh, if I was going back to working in France, uh, I I don't know. I may experience some uh, trouble in managing people, but because uh, I know uh, some people uh, may be pushing back easier. I know working with Italian is completely different as well. Working with Indian is different, but I think I'll keep uh, the management style. I try also to be dynamic, fun, and uh, yeah, I think it will just need a little bit of adaptation. And uh, how? Does it work for your company um, right now regarding the, um, the weight of the purchasing department? Um, what I'm asking is that, you know, depending on your industry, you would have less, more or less power as um, a purchasing department to get more resources or to, uh, to be able to launch new projects. So how is it? And uh, do you have to fight For uh, your recognition um, as a purchasing department? Yes, uh, good question. The, um, I would say the company, the, so the type of company I'm working for is obviously very uh, engineering oriented, and uh, purchasing is, uh, is very key here, especially this department that I mentioned that is very uh, proper to uh, Polaris NPI, new product implementation, because we have to be working 
hands in hands with um, with the, the engineering. And uh, definitely, uh, these are the two. I, say, I don't want to show off, but uh, these are the two uh, pillars in the company. Engineering being the top uh, because it's the biggest uh, de- department there. And you know, when you engineer a new vehicle, uh, you obviously need very technical and skilled people. But then to make sure that you have the right components on time from the right uh, drawing from proper suppliers and so on and so on, the uh, sort of purchasing is very uh, is very key. So I don't. I, let's say I'm not. I don't struggle to. Uh, I mean, in US, overall, in US, I think that they don't really uh, struggle to show, uh, let's say, the added value of purchasing. And the good thing is, it was not really uh, well uh, implemented or developed in Europe before I arrived. So I'm not saying that I completely, uh, you know, changed the way things were, but I really implemented a lot of processes and made sure that uh, we were given the credit for many things that uh, we were doing and that nobody knew about. So uh, I think now I got uh, I was able to really sell the purpose of having a working, well-efficient uh, purchasing department, at least in EMEA. And the good thing is uh, also since we're doing you know global projects, let's say launch of common vehicles in the US and in Europe. Uh, the good thing is now uh, in the US they start also to see the added value of having. Uh, an effective uh, purchasing department. Now we participate to reviews that we were not participating before. We are providing inputs. We're working on uh, relocation projects and uh, we're just about to implement uh, one of the very first uh, relocation projects, meaning we used to buy from US, now we're going to be buying from from Europe. And this is also uh, something that I keep telling the team is like, uh, we can show the rest of the business that we can also do things properly. So the more we'll have uh, successes like this, and this uh, this is my role, I will be obviously uh, communicated this back to US, and the more we'll be able to to build credibility. And I think credibility here is key. It's like uh, we have the ability to uh, to do things properly, to implement our own processes. We have a team of skilled people. Uh, we are uh, able to source in locust countries, also in Europe, in emerging countries, let's put it this way. Yeah. So we can do, uh, you know, we we have a lot of uh, possibilities or opportunities to do things. Yeah, this this is often the risk when you have a company with such, um, you know, engineering um, power and and the new technology um, incorporated in the products is that the decisions are led by engineers and sometimes a product that are over engineered and uh, the buyers they. Um, they, they struggle to uh, really convince the management that there is another way that we can uh, design to manufacture as well or design to cost. Yeah. Well, you know, change management, I think, is one of the hardest uh, management within a company. And, uh, and when you need to convince, let's say, other departments, it can be one of the toughest negotiations. Did, um, did COVID impacted your work? But in terms of COVID, obviously, it, it, it impacting us big time. Uh, Obviously, it slowed down the businesses, not only ours. It forced us to, uh, to shut down manufacturing locations for a while. Our suppliers also shut down uh, for a certain period of time or a period of time, depending on the countries they were in. <clears throat> and um, and the, the main task related to COVID, I would say, was to, uh, to monitor uh, what was needed and to ensure also production and coordinate with suppliers. So uh, on this one, as I mentioned, uh, most say maybe 80% of the suppliers are managed by my US colleague and Irma, they, they did a tremendous job really constantly being in touch with all suppliers to see um, to see uh, when they would reopen, what capacity, 
they worked on informing suppliers are critical aware for the manufacturing of our products. And in general, you know, we had to constantly adjust to, uh, to the new SIAP that was run uh, every day. So, um, yeah, no, it, uh, and, and I would say it, it also still does impact us. We still have a few suppliers depending on the location. But if you look at India, for example, the situation is getting uh, not better. Mm-hmm. As we speak. In the US, it's also uh, it can be difficult. I mean, all suppliers are back up and running, but people are still home and the peak has not been reached yet. Uh, Mexico was pretty difficult as well. I mean, uh, all countries in the world, it was uh, it was very intense uh, on the side and Mexico and India. And on the personal note, I'd say uh, COVID impacted and still does impact uh, my everyday life as I'm working from home. And I'm not traveling anymore, so I need to really reinforce the communication with the team. Obviously, I've not seen them in the last uh, since February now. It's time I get also the possibility to travel over there, but uh, you know, getting an approval these days and can be very difficult. And I had to give myself some kind of a, a routine that I like a lot, I have to say. And I realized that a big part of my job can actually be done home or from elsewhere. But I, you will never replace the face meeting, obviously. Uh, but apart from that, that can really cover a lot. In that. Okay. Uh, Tuma, I would like to, to ask some more questions about tools or techniques. Uh, let's start with um, negotiation, for example. I will I've asked three questions. One, which kind of relationship do you have with uh, your suppliers? What is your negotiation style, if you have one or many of them? And um, at the end, if you can tell us about one negotiation that you uh, are proud of, that is, was very successful. Okay. The first question was um, the, relation, the, the style of relationship you have with suppliers. Which kind of relationship do you build with your suppliers? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting question. I um, I always try to put a, a bit of fun, obviously, in the professional world, uh, and, and I'm building a relationship of of, uh, of trust, almost uh, when applicable, as if we're you know colleagues sharing a common goal. Obviously, it's not always visible, and you have a lot of uh, of very big suppliers who you have a very low spend with, but are super critical. So these ones are very uh, you know you try to be nice, but they don't really care about you. <laughs> you put it properly. But anyway, I'm, I'm really trying to, uh, to build as much as possible a, re- a relationship based on flexibility, on reliability. And uh, I, I like also the fact that I have the possibility to talk openly with my suppliers. So uh, I know it's not always possible depending on, on culture again or where the supplier is located and so on. You have, uh, uh, But I, I really like to have an open discussion. I'm not squeezing suppliers. This is not a goal. I'm really trying to uh, put in place a durable solution relationship with suppliers always uh, you know I, I like to tell myself that every time I have to talk to, to a supplier or negotiate or ask for something that it's uh, some kind of a nice call to have not like a pain to say uh, I need to call that suppliers because I need to reduce some cues or whatever I like the possibility to really openly discuss and see if we can find a solution together okay good and about negotiation well about negotiation uh, I'd said uh, what I like most, and especially when it comes to a commodity, is to have a proper cost breakdown. It's it's key to really uh, go in detail or detail completely the, the cost and see where the, uh, the the drivers are. Okay, when you, you get to know, you have to know where the main drivers are. And uh, then I would I would like to I will take a look at let's say the commodity prices, see how they evolved uh, recently or in the past. Go through a specialized brochure or papers or go over the internet you know using table tools and uh and then i think this is what they told you in in schools preparation is key but it's actually true uh, 
I would definitely prepare myself with what I want to achieve, define my goal, uh, my walkover prices, for example, what I'm ready to make compromises on, or and so on and so on. I mean, really, preparation here is super important. And um, it's also true that sometimes you can uh, you cannot negotiate much and have to uh, and have let's say uh, somebody to act, uh, somehow to accept let's say what the supplier wants. In this case, I try to limit the negative negative impact as much as possible, as there are always possibility, in my opinion, to get some. So I would say, yeah, you need to get documented. You need to follow properly uh, a commodity, understand uh, where the the main cost drivers are, and then uh, you know, have different uh, different uh, approaches to the supplier. And also, so preparation, I would say, and adapting the flow, and not stupidly asking for something if you know the guy in front of you is like. Uh, not willing to make a compromise on that one to just let go and uh, go to another. Okay. Do you have an example of an, of a negotiation that was very successful? Yes. So <clears throat> in a in a past experience, so when I was the community manager for plastic and resin, um, our injection molding suppliers were facing a shortage of a material that was uh, produced by uh, LG, LG Petrochemical, and um, so our suppliers were buying. Uh, the material through the only distributor of that material in Europe. And uh, so they were facing this shortage uh, and they contacted me one by one saying uh, that uh, they cannot have that material anymore because of so many other reasons. One, the massive plant worldwide was shut down and uh, obviously the, the, the offer was uh, smaller versus the demand. So I stepped into the matter. Um, I met directly with the, uh, with the distributor, which I was uh, not really much into uh, in relationship with and I also uh, met with uh, the guys from LG Petrochemical. I had several calls with them, several calls with the management of uh, LG and uh, so we had to convince them, let's say, to allocate the smaller quantities of that material to uh, to us, or at least to our distributor uh, because otherwise our uh, injection molder would not be able to produce components and then if we don't have the components we would have to shut down production. It's a dramatic for us. So we got the material uh, eventually, a little bit, you know, we had to schedule the deliveries and so on. But I was, I think, uh, one of the longest but also successful uh, negotiation to convince LG, which is a massive company, versus the size of ours. So thank you so much, Thomas, for uh, for your time today. That was super interesting to uh, learn about uh, your company, your position and the challenges and uh, how you overcame them. Um, thank you so much. No worries, guys. Anytime. Thanks for giving me that opportunity. And uh... right, thank, thank you very much, Thomas. Thank you.